I'm Tommy Beardmore. I'm Adam DiCarlo. And welcome to Before the Break, a podcast for actors, by actors, brought to you by Working Actor Pro. Good. It feels like spring in New York. It's fantastic. It's like 70 degrees today. God we had the windows open. It's beautiful. Um, lovely, lovely. It's always better when the weather's um when the weather's nice, Adam's Adam's nice. And when the weather's not nice, then Adam's Adam's very mean. And so that's why he's very passionate about the good weather. Because um anyway, we we've got <laughs> we've got it affects everyone around me. The weather's turning and Adam's becoming happy again. Um, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Before the Break. This week, we are very excited to talk to our guest. He's a Broadway uh, TV and film actor, currently based out of L.A., originated the role of Earl in the first national tour of Broadway show Waitress the Musical, and has appeared in um, da, 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 has appeared in shows like The Americans, NCIS, New Orleans, as well as playing Steve. Now, I'm going to butcher this. Lefebvre in two seasons of Amazon's Red Oaks. Please welcome to the show, Nick Bailey. Steve <laughs> Lefebvre. That's what I said. Yeah, that's what you said. I'm sorry. It, the, the mic must have broken up. That, yeah, you just didn't hear it. Um, <laughs> welcome to the show, Nick. I've been trying to get you on for a long time. I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you for asking me on. I've been uh, listening to episodes uh, for for a while now, and I I gotta say I love this thing. Oh, I'm glad. Well, you guys oh, are, are really glad to hear good it. interviewers. Oh, geez, thank you. Well, um, we always start, you know, Adam. We always start where the pain began, right? And <laughs> where did it begin, Nick? Yeah, Childhood. and where did it and, begin? And for him, North Carolina, the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. Talk to us about your upbringing, and I know you know we're going to get into all the stuff that you've done, and it's been a pleasure to watch to see you where where we met in New York, and to see where you went off. It's been incredible to watch, and I love seeing people who work hard, who get, uh, who accomplish their dreams in this business. But let's start at the beginning. So, North Carolina, were you always interested in pursuing this? Um, this life or was it something that came a little later for you? Uh, I have been in love with storytelling ever since my parents uh, didn't read to me before bedtime. What they would do instead was they had uh, a collection of audio cassettes, character building audio cassette stories that they would uh, put on every night. And uh, that would be what I fell asleep to. And of course there weren't an infinite number of those. So I would end up listening to the same ones over and over again. And I, would memorize them. And then of course that would turn into performing those. And then uh, somebody noticed that I had a, a knack for mimicry. It wasn't really acting, but mimicry. And then from Wait, there, can I stop Nick? Can I stop you? Yeah, yeah. Are, were you, were you serious about the lack of storytelling as a, as a kid from, from someone else? Or was that a joke? I just mean like, you know how mom and dad sit down and they'll, uh, they'll read their kids a story before bedtime. Right. That never happened. They just put on right. a cassette tape. See, okay. So, so what I'm, what I'm getting at is you, you had a deficiency. There was something that you, you didn't, you weren't getting something. And and they say that like children, especially at that age, being read stories, it not only helps them, you know, in their childhood in general, but in their cognitive makeup and the inspiration for, um, you know, interests and hobbies and all that stuff. So the fact that you went without it and you were getting this like other form of storytelling and you were kind of alone, probably more in the, in more of a, like a solitudinal experience of, of what a story was. Um, I just think that's interesting that like, maybe you weren't given something, but it got to you in some way. Oh yeah. It was like, it, think about it as like a five-year-old listening to radio plays ad nauseum. Because right, I, I picture you. I like... picture you on the on your stomach with the 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 hands under the chin <laughs> and your feet, you know, leaned up, crossed, and you're just kind of like with your little cardigan and dad smoking a pipe. Lovely. <laughs> Play more for me, Papa. Play more for me. It's War of the Worlds. It's, okay, well, so that was part so, of it actually. Yeah. So that that well, there you go. So so that kind of started your kind of fascination with storytelling and and yeah. and you were talking about mimicry. And I, and I know what you mean as a kid when you're kind of like a monkey, you're just, you're doing what you see. What were the things kind of that were making it a little more clear that you were destined for this alternate life? Uh, I loved um, 
my parents run a, uh, they're retired now, but they ran a Christian children's camp, Christian summer camp. And so uh, the church and faith was a big part of, of my childhood. And of course, church plays are a part of that. And so the moment that I could get on stage and, you know, saying, you know, Oh, Holy night at Christmas time, it was just the, the most fun thing in the year. And so it wasn't ever a, uh, me coming up with something original. It was always, like I said, imitating somebody else and, uh, imitating, you know, what you see from the pulpit, imitating the stories that you hear in Sunday school and acting them out in some grand way. And, uh, it wasn't until I went to, uh, a community theater performance and got inspired by that and ended up working with that community theater in North Carolina that I met secular people. And, right. uh, and all of a sudden sinners. I realized, sinners. well, you know, peace be upon you, but, um, God bless you. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I discovered a, a wider world where you didn't just have to imitate someone else. You could, you could try to create something on your own. And so that was kind of where it went from, uh, imitation to hopefully acting. I don't know. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, Nick is, you know, we, um, I always think of like Whitney Houston and all those, all those voices that come through any of the, the voiced American Idol, whatever. And it sounds like most of the time where this happened in the most important time in their lives, which is their childhood, it was, it was thanks to some sort of church related um, gathering where it was, it created an environment welcoming to singing, acting, that stuff that we would get later in high school and into college and stuff. But it seems like the church, say you say what you will about anything, organized religion, but it seems like so many people who pursued this and found success began, began in that room with the stained glass windows where that they could do it every week and be free because their family was there. Their friends were there. It was a welcoming environment. And it was, it was delivered in a way that the child could understand it um, cloaked in sort of God and family and faith and, and all that stuff. What if we didn't have that, you know, I mean, where would you be without that ability to, to start early, you know? Yeah. And the format is so welcoming for somebody who's going to embrace theater later on the idea of the congregation sitting out there, usually not being, you know, wildly responsive other than, you know, an amen or a hallelujah every now and then. And, right. uh, someone, dispensing information to you from from the front is essentially proscenium theater and then uh you know when you discover that that can be in the secular world for me when i discovered that it was like oh this is this is church just with different uh with slightly different rules it was great it was i i felt like i knew the game not that i'm calling anything about about organized religion a game but like i i got i got the format I was like, this is, I can, I can work with this. I know. This. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and did that take you into um, high school as you were getting older? It was something continue. And you, music was also very important to you and still is. But um, mm -hmm. in high school, you probably got a few more swings with drama club and all that stuff too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I uh, had a wonderful, I went to a, a wonderful high school that had a, a good drama program. And of course it wasn't uh, enough for me because they only did one musical a year. And so I started uh, what I called the student theater league. And I, I listened to your episode with Brock Urich and I just was laughing so much because we have a similar story in that like, I, I, I got a director for us and I like made sure that we had the money for the sets and I like got us a costume designer and, and I helped pick the play and all the rest of it just to make sure that we would have uh, additional performances throughout the year. So I think we did 12th night one year, and then the next year we did Much Ado About Nothing. And uh, that was in addition to our, our school musical. So I did the musical and the play every year, and then in the summer I would run away and do uh, the community theater show the, the county over. All right, so so Nick, you, you were uh, spinning a lot of plates, even as a young kid. And as things started to take hold and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to really do this thing. You, you went to, you started thinking about college, obviously. Um, so you uh, graduated from the university of North Carolina school of arts. And how was yes. that uh, 
say what you will about college and theater and all the stuff that you learn kind of after, but did they, did they kind of give you that, that environment where you could um, hone your skills and prepare you for the industry? They might have, but I was the worst student and I was not very receptive. So like, who good knows? It, oh, it good. Really At least there's two. Them. Okay. I, just, I was a terrible student. Which, but, which uh, kind of tells you, Nick, that like, I don't know about you, but I have friends in college who were, you know, front and center. Uh, they killed it. They were in all the shows. And then there were people who like, I didn't even, I mean, I took one acting class in college just because my major was film and it wasn't really, you know, everybody, everybody, everybody gets to that place, whether you're like killing it in college or not. College isn't really a gauge of like how well you'll do in the industry. Right. Obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> Obviously. Look at well, you. The, uh, the, the funny thing about my college experience was uh, the first two years you didn't perform at school of the arts, but then the last two years you did three shows a year and you might be invited to do something in the summer if you were super gifted, but, uh, which I was never invited to do, but the, the shows that we would do in second and third year. So that first show that we did, I, uh, I was literally a security guard in, in dead man walking. So no lines, but I like really committed to chewing my gum, you know, over in the corner. And I thought like, well, this is just me paying my dues. And then the next show comes up and I'm, no small I'm parts, like, a, no small parts. I'm, I'm a, I'm a silent drunk over there and in, in, in the corner of the bar. And then I, I kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting my turn. And then we get to uh, a production of Henry four, the last show for that year. And I was literally cast as the character silence. So yeah, are you guys know. trying to tell me something? <laughs> so I and then um, I'm just a face to you, huh? Maybe, huh. but then the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the cap of it all was I don't know if either of you are familiar with the show uh, Sunday in the Park with George, of course. But there is a character a of a soldier, and there a tree is in the a, park. Uh, you would think that that would be the logical choice, but usually Nick, there's we're a soldier. Have you play the grass, and everyone's going to walk on you. Walk all over you. Well, usually yeah. the the other soldier is a cardboard cutout, but instead of having a cardboard cutout, I was the silent soldier. This so is that great. Was, that was my college experience, which is not saying anything against the school. Like I probably deserved to be the grass, honestly. But so you know, Nick never learned how to memorize lines because he well he didn't need to. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's tremendously insightful. That's a, and how long did you true. spend in rehearsals to do say show right. on speech? Oh no no no! You at School of the Arts, you're there. It's not like you're called if your scene is up. You're there the entire time. It's, you're bringing a lunch. Yeah, exactly. So I yeah. I was I was spending a lot of time watching people who have gone on to have wonderful careers, like uh, like Billy Magnuson was was uh, crossing over at School of the Arts while I was there. And so oh, watching wow. Billy, it was amazing. He was amazing then. He's amazing now. Wesley Taylor, who's had a wonderful Broadway and television career. He was also part of that same class. So I got to watch them work a lot. It, Wesley Taylor played Falstaff as a 21-year-old in a fat suit with prosthetics on his face. It was amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, but, and I was, but I was literally silence. And that's it. That's his career. That's the career. If you don't want it, you don't have to take it. Um, I'll show them. <laughs> now, um, as things <laughs> progressed, you you have to make a jump. And I remember like being in college saying I was talking about this thing my half of my life. And now it's time to actually like pull the cord and do it. Um, right. What was the progress like for you going into your first market? Uh, did you have that that showcase? Did you just blindly hop in your car and go what was the process for you of getting out of college and getting into your first market well ever since high school i knew i would end up in new york that was the goal and so okay. i moved there very blindly right after college i had a show what year was this where, 2009 got it so i moved to new york and the showcase did yield an agent for me and uh he was a child agent I think that I was his oldest client. I was 21. And so I was getting sent in for every high schooler in the, in the world. But, um, you look it, like you'd be a high schooler on the CW or something. Yeah. Oh, good God. But you know, uh, nice? the, the, he sent me out for, for a, uh, what was it as the 
I think it was as the world turned. So I booked, I booked this role on as the world turns right out of college. I was very, very happy with myself because some of my uh, classmates from years before had gone on to do some soaps and it had really launched them and they had done really well with that. So right. I, I found out that I was going to have this arc, this like several episode arc of like, first I killed Liberty's baby on accident, but you know, <sighs> Oh my so God. then after, after the death of Liberty's baby by me baby, basically bulldozing her in the park, you know, while playing football, you know, this is soap opera. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, I was, going to, I was going to come back. I was very excited. But um, turns out that as the world turns, which had been on air for 50 years, as soon as I got on, got canceled. So I love they it. Said, We're going to have three years. months. Yeah, 50 years on the air, then Nick Bailey gets a job. But they were they had three months left, and they were just needing to wrap up like uh, all of the main storylines and like give the, the fans what closure that they could. And so, Bring in Nick Bailey. Of, course, yeah. of course, I was out of the picture. And I was so uh, emotionally vulnerable and unstable that that was enough to be like, oh, God, this isn't for me. This is terrible. I, I'm done with acting. So... Uh, nine months into being in New York, got a soap, soap gets canceled. I say, I'm out. And I moved back to North Carolina, worked at my parents' Oh my God, you really camp. did. I wow. did. I got out of the game completely. And probably, thank God, because I was awful. And also an awful person to be around, frankly. Because Why I was so, that? I was just an arrogant asshole. I mean, I still maintain that to this day, but it was more so. And, uh, something about getting out of college. And I did the same thing, Nick, where I, I would, I would, I was really just like thinking I that I was it. hot shit. And then, you know what happens? And I don't know if this happened to you, but you get taken down a peg, you know, because you're so arrogant, you're going to now have to like suffer a little bit just so you can prove to the universe that you're like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, big time. I thought I was. yeah. So, so, so your, your arrogance kind of brought you back to North Carolina. <laughs> so I, I worked at the, the camp for a few seasons and while i was there i decided that um that i wanted to say all the lines instead of saying you know none of the lines so uh going back to you know growing up in a in a house where faith was very important i memorized the the gospel of mark and started performing that as a one-man show runs about 90 minutes if you saw if you talk fast and wow. uh so i wasn't in theater proper but i was performing this at um at other summer camps at churches at you know bible conferences things like that do you remember and how it was, started can you give me the first couple sentences uh, uh the <laughs> this is the, remember the gospel of the lord jesus christ uh, I, I, no 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 something, i can't something, something. Don't, don't don't make me do that now 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 i feel bad that was a while ago Ah, how could you possibly remember? I can't remember sides from last week. Come on, <laughs> please continue. But so uh, I did. I did that while I was in North Carolina and in the Southeast, and uh, then finally got an inkling in my head that I wanted to move back to New York. But I couched it in this thing of, "Oh, I'm going to move to New York and start a childcare business because I had worked at the camp, and so I was going to try to marry technology with." Um, with childcare and Uberize childcare, where you know you could you could uh, join this service and you would get a nanny or a babysitter that had been background checked and like they had to have at least a four year college degree, like trying to really do the work. But so I moved to New York, was going to try to do this. Turns out somebody had already done that. It was called Smart Sitting. So I started huh. working for Smart Sitting. Um, and while I was there doing that, fooling myself that that was why I was in New York, there was a, a casting for an off, 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 off Broadway production of Much Ado About Nothing, which I had done in high school. And so I thought, you know what, this would be something to do fun just for me at night. No one will ever see it. And I did it and it relit that kind of pilot light of passion and intensity for performing. And, uh, after that, the, the, um, what was her name? Jenny Gersten, who was at the time running Williamstown theater festival came to see 
much ado about nothing. And I ended up in the fellowship program at Williamstown Theater Festival that summer. And that kind of rolled on from there where I got another showcase out of that. And that's where I met my agent, who is still my agent to this day, 10 years later. I'm sorry, manager. Funny enough. It, and, hmm, uh, nuts. Nick, like we, we, we go, th- we hash out the progress bar every single episode and it never ceases to amaze me that not only was it something they just said, okay, let's just do it. But it's also something that was reminiscent of your upbringing that you already were aware of before oh, a- yeah. another, another story where the actor planted the seed years before. And then years ahead, they get to that place where they're like, oh, well, I already did this. Sure. Let's try it. And then that's the thing that actually starts to take them, which is why it's so important to start early and to have arts in high schools. And then also to have a repertoire, a, a book of something that you know that you can do so that when that that pilot light needs to be lit and opportunity knocks, you know that that's the thing that you're going to open the door for. So great. It sounds like that was kind of part of the destiny. So so that got you a showcase. Got yeah, you and, speaking, and speaking to that, uh, I have a friend who works at the, uh, the L.A. County um, Muse, uh, Museum of, of Art, Blackmow here, and I was reading a study that they helped sponsor, and it, it goes to the point of if a child is not exposed to going to museums and seeing art in person or theater or the orchestra or the fill or whatever – uh, by like age 10, the likelihood of them engaging with that form of culture later on in life decreases by a factor of like 10. So wow. if you are able to get a child or a young, uh, a teenager or a young adult into those things, just early, find then one. It, then just yeah, if it's not in your school, museum. Not, not that the audience for this just podcast the sidewalk, is, just find a kid and yes, yeah, go into public, go grab into a kid, take him into grab the museum. a child, put them in the theater, and they'll we're going to the Met, and you're gonna love it. This is art. There are no <laughs> rules. <laughs> and uh. after that, all three of us are just uh, arrested for right <laughs> kidnapping and child endangerment. It's like, well, I thought that he would enjoy in the jail. performance. Yeah, there you go. Uh. All right, so that that um, so talk to us about so you're with that agent now that you have been since manager manager yeah I've changed manager, agents sorry. but but the the the, the manager he, he's he's fantastic he's a he's a wonderful guy he brought me into uh, to the owner of the company and kind of just said we need to sign the kid and she trusted him enough to believe him and the first thing that I auditioned for with them was an off Broadway show called Hit the Wall mm-hmm. and. Thank God I I booked it because I don't know if I would have stuck around much longer. So because I I was not very good, and the reason why I was hired in the show, if we're being perfectly honest, is because it was a uh, a show about the the Stonewall riots, and the character that I played, his name was Newbie, and he was this very uh, very dumb, just nice but idiot twink who in the second half of the show strips down of all of his clothes and runs through the audience screaming out of the closets and into the streets. And I think that they, they couldn't find anybody dumb enough and willing to be naked. Those, those two things together to put into the show. So, uh, so oh that was how God. I got my, uh, Nick Bailey said, <laughs> Nick Bailey done. Oh my God. That's so funny. Dumb and hot. Hire me. Just, um, just the skinniest, most idiotic child in the world well i love we all have to have our break somehow i guess yeah jesus okay so so that kind of was one of the things that it's always good when you book something early on like right when you sign or right when you move to the market it kind of keeps you there at least to try things out if you didn't do it then you might wake up the next day saying, you know what, what am I doing? So sometimes those bookings, especially at the early part, is just a way for kind of the the universe to keep you around for just a, a little bit for things to take off. So did you experience a drought after that first booking? Uh, no, actually, things kept on rolling oh. on pretty consistently. Okay. And I was sh- shocked by it. The, uh, I, I went and did EPAs when I found out that the show was closing. I had like two weeks where I went to every APA in, in New York because I was like, the, the show's ending. I have to I have to line up my next job. And so I did another 
tiny, tiny, tiny off-Broadway show called Moonlight and Love Songs, where I played a much different character. I played a, a 16-year-old uh, gay kid who needed to take his clothes off in Act 2 um, and was an idiot. So, you know, showing my I'm range, showing the diversity of... Here. But That's going to be on your, on your headshot, Nick. It's just like hot slash dumb, like, or, you know, willing to take well, clothes off. It wasn't even hot. It was just more that, just like just willing dumb. to appear sans clothing. Right. But, uh, but then after that, I got, um, uh, I booked at Williamstown that summer, actually, the, uh, the out of town tryout for Bridges of Madison County, the musical. And uh, I was very excited because I'm a big Kelly O'Hara fan that I would be working with her. And then I found out that she was pregnant. And so she wasn't going to be doing the out of town. She was going to be uh, coming in and seeing, kind of overseeing some of the the way that the role was developing while the wonderful Elena Shadow was doing it in her stead. And she was the standby for it on Broadway. But so my mom in Williamstown wasn't Kelly O'Hara, it was Elena Shadow. But it was... I'm a musical theater fan and working with Jason Robert Brown on a new musical at that age. I thought I was long in the tooth then. I was like 24 playing a 16 year old. And uh, hmm. it was, it was the, the best experience, but that there was this, this creep of that uh, slow creep of that arrogant kid that had been around in 2009 started to come back. And so <laughs> I started to get a little big for my britches. I thought, you know, I'm going to go to Broadway next season. This is going to be my big break. And, you know, after, after that, who knows, I might as well go ahead and, and, you know, buy my apartment with all my TV money that's inevitably going to come. And so, of course, the, the, the show ends and Broadway show is about to come up. And so in my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah. So now the TV show is about to come. And then Sound of Music live on NBC was going to be – is going to be uh, airing that Christmas. And Bartlett Sher, who is the director of Bridges of Madison County, I remember him telling me like, oh, don't do that. You don't need to do that. It's not gonna be worth your time. You just do the show with us. And I thought, you know what? I, I can do both. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be able to, to focus. And so I did the audition process for uh, The Sound of Music and it came down to me and two other guys and the right guy got the part. I definitely did not, but it crushed me because I thought that it was mine. And uh, then I held on to that faith of like, well, I, at least I have my Broadway show coming up. And then I got a, a phone call from my manager, same manager. And the manager said, um, no, no, no problem. But, Mr. Cher would like to see you in his office at, at Lincoln Center um, just, you know, this week when it's convenient for you. And I knew instantly that, oh, I'm not in the show anymore. And Ugh. so I had to go in and meet with him. And it was a come to Jesus meeting of like, oh, you're, you're not ready for this. Wow. You're a little too big for your britches anyway. You can't sing it. You, you're overacting it. You're not it, it, grow up a little bit. Like this isn't this isn't the time for you. He didn't say those words exactly, but that was the sentiment. Think of the kindest man in the world and the best director saying that. And that here, here's here's what here's what he probably said, which is what I got from Anne Libera, I think. And it's you just need to you just need to find your voice. <laughs> and that was you're, you're too immature. You don't know yeah. enough, <laughs> and we can't have you right now. We can maybe in the future, but you need to grow up. <laughs> Yeah. So Nick, so. you're you're in New York. You you're thinking these one or two of these things are just going to take you forward and you're about to be on the momentum train and then you get a heavy dose of reality by a major director who you love and respect Absolutely. when you walked out of that office and you're standing in Lincoln Center, what on earth was going through your head well i was still the arrogant kid so a lot of what was going through my head was, i'll show you what do you know but 
at the same time, something was running through my head of the rehearsals that we had had the summer before. And I said, I tell this story to a lot of uh, younger people when I'm asked to do any workshops or any talk back type things. And if they want to be actors and it was, um, we were in rehearsals and, or I think we had had a performance and then we're getting notes the, the next day before the next show. And he gave me a note and I pipe up and I was like, Oh yeah, actually. And he just stopped. He stopped the room. He stopped me and he said, all right. So are you going to give me an excuse or are you just going to take the note? Whoa. And I, um, clearly I didn't take the note or other, else I would have still been in the show. But um, that, oh, wow. that meeting with him at Lincoln Center was him saying about my career, about my life, are you going to make an excuse or are you just going to take the note? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that is one of those defining moments, Nick, where you get out of that meeting and you're either going to make an excuse and uh, quit or remain arrogant or take the note and go, all right, maybe if somebody at that level is trying to tell me something and I need to change something for the betterment of not only myself, but for my career, let's take the note or, you know, you don't. And it's, you know, that meeting to somebody might be a, I think I'm done here. Right. You know, yeah, that could be the nail in the coffin. People that was going through my head. Of course. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then uh, some more, thank God my managers stuck with me. They're, they're saints. They're absolutely wonderful people. And uh, some other things came down the pipeline and I ended up um, auditioning for a understudy role in uh, the MTC production of Casa Valentina, which was a Broadway show. And I just met with the casting director. I never got to meet with, uh, with Joe Mantello, the director for the casting session. And it was just on tape. It was just me and her. I think they probably called in five guys and it wasn't because they thought that I was that hot. It was because they knew that Gabe Ebert and uh, Nick Westrate would never miss, which were the two parts that I was going to cover. So it was a little perfunctory to, <laughs> to have an understudy because it was a, at that point it was going to be a short run. They ended up extending, but it was basically somebody who's roughly, at least this is how I interpret it. They needed somebody that was a good height, a good size, somebody who would be shirtless and act too. <laughs> and, uh, Being a pattern uh, here. I don't know what it is, but I think there's something consistent. No, it's, it's the quality of the acting is the pattern. It's looking for high quality. Anyway. Um, so, so I got to, to be an understudy in a Broadway show. And that was probably one of the best educations that anyone can ever receive. I bet. Can Along with the security of knowing I had no chance of ever going on. So going to rehearsal, those understudy rehearsals with some incredible professionals who had Broadway credits, onstage Broadway credits of their own that were fantastic and uh, television credits out the wazoo. And then to see Joe Mantello work with his cast in previews and then adjust things throughout the performance and uh, the, the run of the show, I mean, and to see Reed Bernie own a role in such an amazing way. And he would go on to win the Tony like the next season, the season after that for the humans. But that was, it was just, it was just going to class every day. And also yeah. the, uh, the humility of having to sit back and watch and learn and not get to do was exactly Humil the right thing at exactly the right time. Humility hmm. is the, the biggest thing right now that at that point, rather that you were experiencing was like something that was incredibly necessary because you got out right out of the gate. You, you thought you were hot shit, much like yeah. a lot of us do because we're in our little fish bowls, we are the bigger fish. And what I needed was a huge drought, uh, a, a small part to watch everybody else. And, and this is one of like, you'd think that it's only the big jobs that you book that are the, the high watermark things that you write home about, but really it's this stuff where you're being taken down a peg and you're saying, sit down, 
shut up and watch. Yeah. And, and now it, here you are at this point in your career where like if you would you wouldn't be here if it weren't for those educational experiences. Yeah. And I, I also want to say that like I'm a horrible understudy. No one should ever hire me to be an understudy because I I I can't do someone else's performance very well. But I learned from some of the best understudies in the business who can go and watch somebody else's performance and give it as a carbon copy, but also infuse their own soul with it without changing things for people around them. It was it was fantastic. So understudying is an amazing skill. I do not have it. They knew I did not need it. But anyway. <laughs> okay, great. Now, now, um, what year is this, would you say? 2014, 15, 2015. Uh-huh. And, and you and I met, um, and I didn't tell Adam this, but you and I met on the set of Bull on CBS. Yeah. Never yes, forget, we were ah. Upper West Side. We both, uh, I was getting a coffee. We were going to pl- climb into this unmarked van that was going to take us upstate somewhere. Um, but uh, you and I played firefighters. Yeah, and, we did. Um, I don't even know what season it was. But, I assume um, you were on the corner of 96 and Broadway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the vans to go? The pickup up. spot. Yep. Exactly. So when I met you, we were talking and, and – um, I was just kind of getting a gauge on you and, and ask you questions about who you are, where you're from, all that stuff. And you said, you know, I, I said, so film and TV only, or, and he said, yeah, some stage. And I said, Oh, wow. I didn't know that you were a, a singer. And you go, Oh, I'm not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then, and then two years later or something, I see you um, on the first national tour of, of waitress. So well, I know we're jumping. Well, well, here's what I like to say about my voice. And this isn't me being coy or even like false humility. I I say that my voice is like a chainsaw in that it gets the job done, but you don't want to be too close to it. (laughs) Put a little oil in it. It it needs it. No, the, uh, my, you can't say that though, Nick, because uh, you, you, you've carried yourself on stage. I mean, maybe, maybe it's not a, typical Broadway voice, but it's a voice that, that, that does the job. And I'm sure you've gotten it, better since, but you know, you would think, but I have a, my dressing roommate, Ryan is, uh, is, is endlessly supportive and critical, which are both two wonderful things. And he moved out here and now we see each other every week because we're in the same acting class. But his thing is, uh, he's like, they, casting will never ask Nick if he can sing higher because he gives Every note that he has in every performance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all on the table. No mysteries here. <laughs> Love it. But uh, when I was doing Bridges of Madison County, the like, like a month before we went into rehearsals, the music director, he, 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 he called me and he emailed me. And I don't think that I had been like, uh, I, I had been like the creative's choice, but not casting's choice and not his choice. And so he called me and emailed me to be like, just so you know, you might want to, you know, start singing every day. You might want to really strengthen your voice. Practice. You might want to do some, do some real work. Lots on of water. This. Just, just a thought. Oh God. Oh anyway, my God. <laughs> Throw away the cigarettes maybe this week and let's just figure oh. this out. <laughs> No, well, I sing beautifully. They're asking me to the Met this season. See? <laughs> see? He's an artistic genius. So um, you you started to do some TV. Yeah. You were doing the stage stuff. Um, you know, you got red, you got on Red Oaks. Uh, I know some of this stuff mm-hmm. is sort of recent, but in, in the progress bar, say, of the last um, – we were at 14, 2015, so the last, like, seven years, or even right before COVID and before that – uh, how how were things going with you with auditions, with agents, with where you are mentally kind of, I mean, come on, let's face it. You know, when you're in the business for 10 years or longer, you're going to come to these peaks and valleys that either oh, take you up to these places that are incredible. And then they're, they're also going to equally take you down to those places to, for various reasons, whether it's to prove something to yourself or to, to weed out the people who aren't here for the right reasons. But um, I imagine there were some ups and downs. Can you talk about like navigating through the toughest parts of the area where you, you know, you're not a household name and you're not somebody with no credits. You're right in the middle. 
and yeah. much like all of us, right? How was that for you? Those ups and downs. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky to have a good support system in my family. Not that they really care that much about my work, but that's the best part is that I can call them and talk to them about anything. And my dad has a wonderful saying of, well, you got a roof over your head and they ain't shooting at you. So I can't, I guess it can't be that bad. I'm picturing him with the cloth, taking the oil off his hands in the garage. <laughs> saying this. Well, I don't know much about the second thing, but I know if you put your head down, you get her done. Oh my God. <laughs> so he has, he has after a roof over your and head and they're not shooting at you. <laughs> the other, the other ones are like, you know, if, if you're, if you're talking about feeling unmotivated, a, a good one that he has is, you know, what the, the toughest thing about self-motivation is you got to do it yourself. That's so gold. No, he's 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 a, a wealth of wisdom, the man. <laughs> oh, but so God, in I'm... those in those valleys of, uh, I'm glad I do not have someone who, uh, for parents or family that are you know maybe a bit more uh, coddling, because I'm afraid if that were the case, then I would just end up sitting around feeling my feelings. But the support system that I have ends up being like a, you know what, you're. You're fine. You, oh, so you're having to work? You have to do right. a, a job that you don't like? Oh, right. you, yeah. you poor thing. You think that like going to the hospital every day and and uh, <laughs> stitching people up is, is my passion? Not so right. much. But, but so uh, it helps put things yeah. in perspective. I yeah, walk dogs for a long time. I, I, I was going to say, done, so you and I, I've you done and I, childcare. I've done. You were on yeah. WAG, Nick. I remember when I was on WAG. I just, I just got WAG, and I was like, I was on New York money. Times on WAG. The New York Times did a story, and they put my picture in the in the paper. Yeah, I you was told me WAG. You told me that you were making over six hundred bucks a week just walking dogs. I'm like, dude, I'm making like fourteen dollars a day if I, you know, if I'm able to find dogs or whatever. You were making like decent money as a dog walker. I on the I side. cleaned up. I cleaned up on the old wag. I was walked every dog in Manhattan. I did. I loved making a game out of it. <laughs> you showed up at all these up. housewives. You're like, Whew, right? Oh my god. Well, here's a, I mean, here's I a was, tip. Thank you. I was trying to use my earlier career experience, so I would show up, you know, shirtless. And, right, exactly. Uh, I was going to say the dogs. Yep, I told the dogs out of the closets and into the streets, and they uh, yeah. took a walk. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so those side jobs, the money. I mean, going from gig to gig, where obviously there's time in between your bookings. Um, you know, you had to do what you had to do, and I, I yeah. actually, when you when you told me about walking dogs, I'm like, well, here's a guy who's who's booking. And, and he's having to do this stuff. It was actually inspired me to do more side job stuff because my, my humility, my, I had too much pride in, I, I just wanted to be an actor and just do this, you know, from the money standpoint. Um, but watching you knowing, Hey, you can do this stuff on screen, on stage and still like make a little bit of money on the side and not feel like you're a failure and all your money doesn't have to come from acting. This is just part of the job of surviving, you know? I found a, a thing that I feel like nobody wants to talk about it because in my managers, if they heard me saying it would also be like, it's, Edie especially would say, and Nicholas, don't let them know you're doing that. They'll never give right. you a job if they hear right. you're doing that. But um, I became, when I did Red Oaks, which I did for two seasons, I became really good friends with the uh, the background casting director on it. And so I would ask him be like, Hey, Alex, do you, do you have, do you have anything this week? And he's like, Oh, anytime you want to work. And so I show up in the background of basically every show that shoots in New York for three years. Yeah. And that's what I did. That was the best education for how to behave on set because you see what guest stars are the worst that the crew doesn't want to deal with. You see what a good series regular is like. You see what a lazy series regular is like. So what you did you see, know, Nick? What did you see that worked and what didn't? Uh, the people who don't feel the need to to chum it up in between takes, who are friendly and professional, and they're going to reserve their energy for the work instead of feeling like they need to build a social life on set, at least like with the guest stars. Of course, if you're a series regular, this is your family. I'm like, of course you can do that, but... 
those guest stars that show up and like want to network on set and it's just so oh it's so cringy yeah it is you just you just like we're we're not we're not here for that nobody cares we just like the 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 camera operator his kid has got you know his kid is growing up and he just wants to get out of here so he can go and take care of his kids you know that type of thing he doesn't want to do it your yeah yeah Um, and, and, as and, you know, it is tough because when you're at a, when you're a guest star, you're coming into someone else's home and you don't have a lot of time to connect, if, you know, um, what other things like on set or those do nots, those no's when people were like, did you see what that person did? Whatever. Uh, I'm sure with like personality and being kind and, you know, I hear, I hear that, um, you know, lines, I know it's self-explanatory, but sometimes actors come on and they're like, oh yeah, they're learning it in the makeup chair. But I'm sure that every day on set, you were watching things, what worked, what didn't, um, things to stay away from. So for you, when you were well, in that I didn't, coming on to set, I didn't you- even learn all my own lessons. Like the things that I would write down in my little journal, then I would get a, a guest star and show up and then not do that. One of those right. is- is uh, I was doing an episode of Little hey, America. Guys, I get out of here, man. I got to take care of my kid. You're like, oh, right. Sorry, not supposed to connect. Right. My 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 story about uh, failing to learn the lessons that I was trying to teach myself is uh, I was on an episode <laughs> of Little America, and there was this. It's it's a great cast. It's a great director. The show is uh, is kind of an anthology so there's no series regular it's you have your top of show but everything changes every episode and so there was this this guy who played the professor and i thought that he was really good i thought he was really natural but also really commanded the screen very easily he was in a couple of scenes that i was in and so i uh i was trying to chat him up in between the uh in between the scenes in between setups and he was on the phone he, he he would like step away and he was on the phone and this was during the writer strike not the writer strike when all of the writers dropped their agents mm-hmm. and so he was clearly on the phone with his agent talking about like we're not you know we'll, we'll come back together at some point but for right now this is the reason why we're doing this and so he gets off the phone and i i was like, oh, so so you're a writer, and he said, yeah, yes, yes, I'm a writer. It's like, oh, that's great. Well, you know, thank you for what you guys are doing, stepping up against packaging with the agencies because that's going to help everybody in the long run. He was like, yes, I, I know. That's uh, thank you, thank you. And so we do the rest of the day, and somebody just pulls me aside a little later. I was like, just so you know, um, that's the writer of the movie Up, Spotlight. He also directed Spotlight. He won the Oscar for it. So, oh, boy. he was he was on set as a favor to just like Barrett, the director, stepping into this part because he also acts. His name's Tom. So, um, so <laughs> He's just assume assume that everybody on set is the absolute best at what they do, and that they right. are an Oscar winner or an Emmy winner, and that they don't have time to have your little, you know. Like, oh, you do writing too. Isn't that nice? And are do you wag as well? <laughs> do, do you walk dogs too? You're so talking a, about Tom McCarthy, right? Tom McCarthy. He's the best, the, the best you could ask for. And wow. also didn't wasn't rude to me at all, even though I was like, oh, that's nice. You're a writer. Isn't that neat? Ah, uh, good for him. Good you, for you. Uh, you he's know, the in trouble a ton about of stuff starting is you got to do it yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But then the same thing about like taking people, he did not do this, but I, I won't say his name, but there was somebody that I worked with um, for a couple seasons on Red Oaks and his thing that he would love to do, which I think is so brilliant and awful is he would uh, find the guest star. He's a series regular. So he would find the guest star and sit next to them in a makeup chair and chat them up while they're getting everything done. And then he would uh, get pretty friendly with him, like first name basis. 
And then he'd be like, and I, and I'm Ennis. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, part of the show. And they'd be like, Oh, Oh, oh I know. I know. Be like, Oh, okay. And then right before we leave, he'd, Oh God, I said his name. Oops. But, um, I can bleep it. I can bleep it if you want. But, but he would, he would turn and see, he would say, uh, background. And so then the person has the choice of saying like, no, I'm, I'm a co-star or I'm a guest star. Like I have a scene with you in a second, but it was just a wonderful way of knocking down the, the guest stars a peg of being like, Oh, I'm, I'm really open and available to you in this moment. By the way, I have no idea who you are, Oh, I love but he's that. very funny. And also when you're on set with him, he is incredibly generous and he's, he's wonderful. Like, no, Ennis is the best, but, um, Oh, how funny. Uh, background. <laughs> background uh what the fuck i got an ask <laughs> oh my god something about us feeling like we i mean you really need to be taken down and yeah. it's so easy to think you're hot shit when you have a line or whatever and i think it's because i've had so many moments where i was taken down a peg that now when you got the booking when you're on set you're treating it like it's supposed to be treated that responsibility. And I think when you get out of acting school and you think, dude, I'm going to be working in like a month, no problem. You, you, I, I think that it's like such a toxic frame of mind, I guess. And every actor kind of feels that way because we want to be the star and we're, we know what, what we want to do. And um, you have to have those moments where you are taken down and, one thing I just hate about actors is when they get on set, they think that they're the show, which is why whenever actors ask me, how do you break in? I say, get on a film crew or theater crew, because not yeah. only are you going to get to see everything for what it really is and the machine and all the moving parts, but it also, it also gives you kind of that, like we talk about that aerial view. I'm not the only person. Look at all these people doing all these things. So, you know, when we're, when we're briefed on everybody's job and role, we realize that ours isn't actually that important. On the contrary, everyone else's is really important. They cast the people at the very last second, essentially. God, that I is mean, the gospel. Tommy, that is that is so According true. to Tommy, baby. And I can Jeez. recite it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it sounds like you're you've learned so much. And what I what I've seen from you, Nick, is you're a man of many talents. You take care of yourself. And I mean like your body, your voice, you have, uh, you're a musician, you play different instruments, you play the piano, you play the guitar. Um, these are all, all behind you. Yeah, They're all right my, behind you. My wall there. Fiddle, really? Oh yeah, yeah, I play the violin. Oh, play That's a little amazing. bit of the mandolin, guitar, I got my piano right here. And this is why, you know, you're not just an actor. And and that's respectful and admired because not a lot of people are more than just an actor. And another thing that we tell actors who are kind of figuring it out and how do I do it? It's like, have, have a Swiss army knife, tons of stuff that you'll be able Being to be an interesting tons. person first. Yeah. That's true. That's another one. I mean, that's like the knife in the Swiss army knife because you can have all the talent in the world. You can be a great guitarist, but like, or a singer, but I'm going to work with you for 16 hours a day, you know? Yeah. A lot of people get that wrong. They don't focus on that really necessary element of booking the job. And that's me, not the character, me. Like, who am I and what am I going to bring to the table and the table read and the drinks after and the all that stuff? It's part of it, you know? And when actors spend their time in the comfy confines of some musical theater program or workshop where they don't get out there, they only know the theory. They only know Chekhov. They only know the emotional truth, but they don't really take into account this other side. That's like, it's about the interview, man. It's about like the back and forth. And can you relate to people and talk to them? And do you have the etiquette down? Because what you're seeing, what you were seeing as an extra or as a co-star, you're watching the etiquette. Where do I sit? What do I say? Who do I talk to? Who do I not talk to? Where do I not sit? That stuff really comes into play too. Um, so it sounds like you've been getting this well-rounded, um, understanding of what this business is and you're still in the first like little chapter of what will be this incredible career do you feel like this is um this progress is something that you're you're embracing or do you have other interests in mind relating to the in industry writing directing are, are these things also things that you want to try as well 
Uh, ever since I was in in college, I've been uh, I, I write music and I write songs for story, if not necessarily musical theater. But I've been working on a, a musical that hopefully might see the light of day one one day. But uh, wow. that is a thing that might occur. But um, yeah, I feel like I'm at, at a point right now where I have. I have picked up enough skills to be useful. Whereas had I been on, had as the world turns not gotten canceled and had I, you know, (laughs) gone on from there, I would, you know, been a a Disney channel kid where I had, you know, maybe I could, could make some money and go and make stupid, stupid mistakes. And my career would be over by now. And I would probably be, you know, completely burned out and doing something different. But the way that things have landed now, I feel like I'm ready to start, which isn't saying that I haven't done anything already, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm at a point now in my career and in my life where if anything comes across my table, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is gravy. This is great. This is a chance. I don't have to use this as a a launching pad. This is another really great, uh, opportunity to learn because when the thing does come, I will have the entire tool toolkit. I know that like when, whenever you see the, the, the big famous actors on their, their interviews and their press jackets, they're like, Oh, this, this rule terrified me because I didn't know what I was doing. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to be that person. I want to have, <laughs> I want to, I want to know what I'm doing. I wanna you want to, when, the, when the door's knocking, you want to open it up and not be scrounging around saying, I need to get vocal. I need to get this. I need to get the wa- uh, six pack abs before the shoot. Like all this stuff should just be gotten. That's why when people ask like, why isn't it happening for me? It's like, because if there was a knock on your door, would you really have everything ready to go? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, there's yeah, always sure. room for polishing, especially early on in our careers. Um, but that's the difference between an amateur and a professional. The amateur waits for the knock. The professional's already there before the knock happens. I mean, I think about yeah. that often. If things came at a different time, like I would not have been ready for that at all. Think at of if all. Nick got Red Oaks like the the minute Ooh. that he got out of school. Like, oh gosh, and then I would have been cut. I would have been right. cut during the the filming of the first episode. Just um, pop said. into the director's office sometime this week, uh, just to chat. And uh... exactly. <laughs> the, last, the last little story that I'll share I'll is tell you. the last project that I that I did was um, uh, an an indie feature that uh, hopefully we'll we'll all be able to see in the next year uh, called Scam. At least that's what we think it's called right now. That's what we shot it as. Okay. But um, so it had a scene in it that used everything that I've learned how to do up until this point. And while I was doing it, I was just rubbing my hands being like, Oh, I know, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. And it's going to be good because I know how to do this. Not because I'm right. a, a good actor because I'm super skilled. It's because I've run into all this before. And so it was a scene that was going to be just uh, a, a two minute nonstop, just a fantasy sequence where the camera's rolling, things change in the space. There's costume changes, people come and go. And then when the scene ends, everything's back to one. It's like nothing ever happened. And so I didn't even know that's how it was going to be shot. I thought this was going to be very montage And I show up on the day and get told like, oh, this is, this is all going to be in one. We're going to just do this whole thing. And oh, Lord. the director was a little uh, scared about the schedule because we also had to get through a fair amount of pages that day. I think we were, we were trying to like knock out like six pages, which was a seemed way too much. And so we, uh, we get to that moment and I was able to, I was able to do it. And it wasn't like me patting myself on the back. It was like, Oh, I know exactly how to preserve my voice in this moment because it had a lot of vocal extremity, which is something I had to learn to do on the road with waitress, like yelling and screaming and singing every night and smashing a guitar. So it had vocal extremity. It had to have some real nuance in the acting because I had some close ups, but then it also was going to pull back a lot it had to do with that quick change mentality that you pick up when you're in right. a show, like when I did Into the Woods, where, you know, costume change galore, that type of thing. And also the, uh, 
the film is a little cinema verite. So the, the lead character is a, a non-actor and everything is kind of happening around them. So you also have to be kind and guide someone with a lot of benevolent improv. And that's something that you pick up from childcare. Right. And so, so it all kind of came together in that moment. And not to mention, not, not, not to forget to mention that the DP and the director are so, so, so good, both of them. And uh, it, I, I think that it's going to end up being great. We got to see a playback at the end of the day, just that little bit. And I couldn't believe how good it looked. And that's not back padding. That's everyone did the exact thing that they should have done. And thank God that I knew how to be a part of it. And what's, what's the possible, what's the name of it? Scre- scream, scam, scream. Uh, uh, we shot it under the, the title scam. Who knows what it'll scam. actually be released as. Well, and, and what this is, is it's, it's the quintessential culmination of all of your past experiences and training into one little minute, one project, one role. Of course, this will happen as time goes on, but I love hearing these, 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 um, you know, for me, it would be like improv heavy, you know, drummer, like whatever the stuff that kind of, wow, if I didn't do this 10 years ago or that seven years ago, I didn't have that workshop or did this project before, I probably wouldn't be well suited for this, but it just go, it just happens that, that you book this role. This is what it needs. And you also have all that experience that you've done in years prior. So while we're learning about the the improv or the quick changes and all that stuff, you're actually, what we don't realize is we're not just doing something now, we're doing something that's going to benefit us in the future projects that we have, that extra tool in the Swiss army knife. I just love hearing when you're caught in those moments, you're like, wow, I'm doing my Swiss army knife is being used in many different tools right now simultaneously. And that's why you booked it. Nobody else could do that because they didn't have your background, your experience, your training, you know, and which is why I think. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. I forgot to mention that I was shirtless what? the entire time. Oh, no, no, no. You, I'm, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's it. Endless. No, I actually I'm... did book that one. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the, uh, the shirtless thing. <laughs> All right. So other than scam, what's, what else is for you? What's uh, anything to look forward to anything that you're in the, you that's know, the what progress we're of? looking forward to next is uh, that's going to be heading out on the, the festival circuit. So I'm looking forward to it just as much as, as anybody else seeing what the, the final product of it is. I think that it's a really relevant story to right now. Part of the reason why I wanted to do it is because I have parents that are, you know, older and the, film is about um elder fraud and that's something that i haven't seen done enough thought it was a mormon character (laughs) not elder fraud elder (laughs) fraud (laughs) oh that's great (laughs) but so yeah i'm I'm excited for that story to kind of get out there and start conversations yeah it's a really good piece lovely and where can people find you nick on the line Uh, it, it's on, on Instagram, but if you type it in as Nicholas Bailey, the way it sounds, you'll never find me. It's N-I-C-H-O-L-O-U-S-B-A-I-L-E-Y. Mm. And same yeah. at Twitter and the same over the old Facebook. My right dad on. decided to name me after my grandfather, which was wonderful, but all he had left of my granddad was a, uh, a driver's license. And so he gave that to the nurse and that got put on my, driver, on my birth certificate. And then uh, a few years later, my grandma asked my dad, Why'd you name the kid that? And he was like, I was trying to, you know, honor, honor daddy. And he said, well, that's not how you spell his name. So I'm named how after not? a misspelled driver's license. And that's my social handles. Okay. N-I-C-H-O-L-O-U-S-B-A-I-L-E-Y. I love that. Isn't that great? Uh, Nick, thank <laughs> you so much for stopping by. You can put your clothes on now. But, um, oh, thank we, you. Uh, Gosh. We, uh, it's so cold in here. Tune into the video. You're missing it the Got whole time. Here. Your nipples actually cut the computer screen um <laughs> all right well uh love you buddy you're in la let's grab coffee um thanks a lot let's for doing man by. all right thank you so much for having great me afternoon, you guys have Nick. a great afternoon take care bye oh wow you know what i love adam no oh, i don't cake. uh you know what i loved about nick in so many reasons but he had so many times um so many reasons to quit or so many times yeah. that he'd been like you know what <laughs> I'm not good. This person's telling me I can't really do this. I can't do that. I'm literally getting fired. What am I doing? 
And he yeah, even did that. that. Those moments where you're at a crossroads and yeah. a lot of people would have gone, I, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. That's you know? why, you know, it's, and, it's the stubborn. Like, All right. Oh yeah. It's, it's, we have a stubbornness about what we want and also an understanding that it's, we're supposed to see these walls, many of them. And the point is not to like get stopped by them, but to like find the brick that you press that actually pushes you through, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's supposed to be like this. And I'm glad that he had the wherewithal or stubbornness or ego, as he would put it, <laughs> to uh, to just barrel through and just keep going. And, and it's nice to know that you can suck, <laughs> which is his words, <laughs> and then become better, you know, improve, be that person that has a right. Also, to be seems like as a, as a person, he's right. grown up, you know, because when he talks in the past tense, it's like, oof, you know, yeah. I was this way. And now, right. you know, he's just had a whole lot more experience. He's been very humbled and done a whole lot of different jobs. And now, you know, where he is now, he can look back and think, oh yeah, that's where I was, not where I am. Yes, sir. All right, friends and neighbors. Well, uh, that's it for us. We'll see you next week. You can find out more about Before the Break and how to become a working actor at workingactorpro.com. Follow us on Instagram at Before the Break Pod and Working Actor Pro. Check out Adam's stuff at adamdecarlo.com and follow him at that Adam DeCarlo. You can check my stuff out at tommybeardmore.com and follow me at I'm Tommy, by the way. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a rating, and write a review if you like what you heard. Check back next week for an all new episode with an all new guest, Adam. Alrighty, see you next time. Bye, Tommy. Adios. You've been listening to Before the Break. The hosts are Tommy Beardmore and Adam DiCarlo. Cover art by Amanda June Boucher. Music by Benjamin Sterley. Before the Break is recorded live from Los Angeles and New York City.